This is Getting to Know Your Bible, a program dedicated to the proclaiming of the good news of Jesus Christ. Here's Billy Lambert. It's a pleasure to be with you today on Getting to Know Your Bible. We appreciate those of you that are watching now, especially if you're watching for the first time. We do appreciate those that watch every time we're on the air. I have people call occasionally just to let me know they watch us every time we're on the air. We want to thank you for watching today. Stay tuned as we discuss this subject to the glory of God. I hope you'll stay tuned. Now, we're going to be offering the free Bible correspondence course again today that you might know how to receive the free course, that you might know more about the free course. Let's pause for just a moment. To help you in your study of the Bible, we want to send you this Bible correspondence course. This course is non-denominational. It's based on the Bible. It's conducted by mail, and it's free. To receive this course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, Post Office Box 314, Somerdale, Alabama, 36580. Or call toll-free 1-877-711-5214. I'm going to be reading today out of the book of Philippians, chapter 2. The second chapter of Philippians is a great chapter about Jesus Christ. It has so many things in it about Christ and and his nature, especially verse 5 and following. Listen while I read. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. God's glory is the essence of His nature. And we are to give glory to God. In First Chronicles chapter 16 and verse 29, The Bible there reads that we're to give glory to God that's due to Him. To honor God, to glorify God, and to is to respect Him, reverence Him, and to pay homage to God. And God is worthy of being glorified. Now I have several reasons that I would like to suggest as to why that's the case. God is worthy of being glorified because of His magnificent power. God is a powerful God. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 3 says, By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God. 
So the worlds were framed by God's word. In Psalms 19 and 1, there the scripture says, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. So we, we glorify God because he is worthy of being glorified, and one of those reasons is because of his power. It was through his power that he put this, that created this old earth on which we live. It was through his power that he put the sun, the moon, the stars, and all of, their, of the planets into their places out in the heavens. He is a God of power. A God of power is worthy of being honored and reverenced and, and respected. We honor him. We glorify him because of that power. And God is worthy of being glorified because of his presence. Where is God? Where is he when I need him, someone says. Here's a promise that Jesus made, that the Lord has made, that he has not broken. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5. I will never leave you, and I'll never forsake you. So he is a God who is ever present. Our Lord is ever present. He is worthy of being glorified because of his presence. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. Proverbs chapter 15 and verse 3. God's worthy of being glorified because of his wisdom and because of his knowledge. Just what does God know? Just how wise is God? Well, I'd, I'd, I'd call your attention to a passage in Romans the 11th chapter and in verse 33. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. You see, God is worthy of being glorified because of his wisdom and his knowledge. And he's worthy of being glorified because of his goodness. The Lord is good. His mercy endures forever. Psalms 100 verse 5. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil for thou art with me. And then the psalmist said, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. God is a good God and he gives good things to those that love him. And it is God's goodness. Romans 2 verse 4 that leads an individual to repent of his or her sins. God's goodness leads us to repent. God is a God, a God of goodness, and he illustrated that in the giving of his only begotten son, John 3, 16. So God is worthy of being glorified by man. I wish that I could believe that all people glorify God, but the fact of the matter is, all people do not. If you turn back to the first chapter of Romans, we learn something about the attitude that many people still have today about God. Listen to Paul as he writes in Romans 1, beginning in verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. 
because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, the, His invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so they're without excuse. The fact and the idea and the concept and the truth that God exists, that God is real, is so evident that an individual is without excuse. But then in verse 21, because although they knew, him, knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts and their foolish heart were, hearts were darkened, professing to be wise, they became fools. No, all people don't glorify God. He talks about people here who knew God, but they did not glorify Him. They became unthankful, and their foolish hearts were darkened. You see, men cannot glorify God when Satan is in control of their lives. It's impossible. In Romans 3.23, Paul said, For all have sinned and come short of what? The glory of God. You see, when Satan is in control of my life, there's no way my life is glorifying God. My life is not paying reverence and respect and homage to God. In John chapter 5 and verse 39, Jesus said, Search the Scriptures, for in them you think you have life, and they are they which testify of me. I've heard that passage used as a proof text that we ought to search the Scriptures. We ought to study the Bible. Well, we ought to study the Bible, but that's not what this passage is saying. Jesus was telling these people, you are searching the Scriptures. You are searching the Scriptures. You're studying the Scriptures. And they are they which testify of me. You ought to know about me because you've been studying the Scriptures. And he was talking about Old Testament. He was talking about the prophecies about him in the Old Testament. But then in verse 40, Jesus said, And you would not come unto me that you might have life. Even though they were searching the Scriptures, they did not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then in verse 41, he said, And I receive not glory from men. You see, men cannot glorify the Lord when somebody else is in control of their lives. And what men and women need to be doing today is glorifying God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 31, there the Bible says that whatever you do, whether you eat or whether you drink, do all to the glory of God. Sometimes say, well, what, what should I, our purpose be in life? Well, what do you think your purpose ought to be in life? And I am convinced that our purpose in life is to glorify God. I believe the purpose of the church is to glorify God. I believe the purpose of government is to glorify God. Everything we do, whatever we do in our lives, we ought to glorify God. Now, the Bible teaches that we glorify God in the church. In Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 21, the Bible says, Unto him be glory in the church.
throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. So we glorify God in the church. The church began on Pentecost after Jesus' resurrection. And it was on that occasion that the apostle Peter, for the first time, gave the conditions of the Lord's last will and testament. And it was on that occasion that he explained to people that they are to repent of their sins, to be baptized for the remission of those sins. And so then there were some 3,000 that submitted themselves to the Lord's will, and they were baptized. And they were added to the church by the Lord. And so the church is that place, it's that entity, it's that body wherein we glorify God. But let me ask you a question. Once an individual becomes a Christian, they're living the Christian life. They have obeyed the gospel as the, by believing in Jesus Christ, according to John 8, 24, Mark 16, 16. They have repented of their sins, according to Acts 3, 19, Acts 17, 30, 2 Peter 3, 9, Luke 13, 3. They have confessed their faith in Christ according to Acts 8, 37. And Matthew 10, 32, 33, Romans 10, 9, and 10. And they've been baptized into Christ, Galatians 3, 27, for the remission of their sins, Acts 2, 38. So now they're in the church. How are you going to glorify God in the church? I think sometimes we have people that are in the church and are not aware of what they should be doing to glorify God in the church. Well, one of the ways we glorify God in the church is by the prayers that we pray. The prayers that we pray. Did you pray last Thursday? Now, if you have to stop and think about it, you may consider the fact that you ought to make prayer a lifestyle. Prayer to the Christian should be just as natural as breathing air. We glorify God by the prayers we pray. God's always wanted His people to pray. Let, listen to Second Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 14. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face. Then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal the land. If we want healing in this land, if we want healing in our world, it does not begin with the Supreme Court. It does not begin with the House of Representatives. It does not begin with the Senate. It does not begin with the President. It begins in prayer. God said, if my people that are called by my name will humble themselves and pray to me, then I'll hear and I'll heal the land.
We glorify God by being a people of prayer. And God can let hear us when we pray. In Isaiah 59 and verse 1, the Bible says, The Lord's hand is not shortened that he cannot save, and neither is ear heavy that he cannot hear. To suggest that the Lord's hand is not shortened means that it's not without power. That God is not powerless to save us. He can save us. And he has ears that can hear our prayers. There may be reasons that God might not hear our prayers. And it's not a fault of God, it's a fault of man if, man, if prayer is not heard. In Psalm 66, 18, the David said, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. And so if we have sin in our lives and we refuse to remove the sin of our lives, God's not going to listen to us. Listen to Solomon in Proverbs chapter 28 and verse 9. Whoso turneth his ear away from hearing the law, even his prayer shall be an abomination. Whose prayer is an abomination? Why the man who, who turns his ear away from listening to God? At times I have uh, used th this illustration, and I know young people would not have any appreciation for it, but uh, I, I grew up on a farm, and I've seen old long-eared uh, long mules. As a matter of fact, I'm, I was born in Columbia, Tennessee, and it's referred to as the Dimple of the Universe, and once a year, they have a Mule Day Parade in Columbia. So I know a little about mules. Now, if an old mule doesn't want to do what you tell him to do, he'll just throw his ears forward. But if you want to get his attention, you get a hold of him with a little switch or something, and he might throw one ear back. And I always thought when he did that, he just heard half of what you said. But if you'll get serious with that switch, he'll throw both of those ears back. And then he hears everything that you say. Now, friend, if you've got your ears turned away from God, you're not listening to God. I want you to tell me why should God listen to you? We've got to be in tune with God. We've got to have our ears turned toward God if we want God to hear us. Listen to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 12. The eyes of the Lord are over the righteous. His ears are open unto their prayers. Did you hear him? The, his ears are open unto their prayers. To the prayers of whom? The righteous. And for me to be a righteous person, I need to come to the foot of the cross. I need to become a Christian. I need to give my life to Christ. And he'll make me a righteous person. Let, listen to Romans 6, verses 17 and 18. But God be thanked that you were the servants of sin. But, but you've obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Being made free from sin, you became the servants of righteousness. Now that's the person God's going to listen to, the servant of righteousness. And when do I become a servant of righteousness? It's when I obey a form of the doctrine that Paul said he had delivered to these people a form of what doctrine? Well, if you study earlier in that chapter of Romans 6, you learn it was a form of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. They died to sin. They were buried with Christ in baptism. 
And they were raised to walk in newness of life. And that was a form of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And in Romans 6, 6, 17, and 18, Paul said, that's when you're made free from sin. You became a servant of righteousness. And that's the person the Lord is going to listen to. Listen to James chapter 5 and verse 16. Confess your faults one to another. Pray ye one for another that you may be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Whose prayer is an availing prayer? It's the prayer of a righteous person. But the point I want us to see is the power there is in prayer. There is power in prayer to change things. And prayer also changes people. So how long should we pray? When should we pray? How often should we pray? Where should we pray? Well, the Lord wants us to pray all the time. Listen to 1 Thessalonians 5, 17. Now, you know there, there are some verses in the Bible that, that are modified or best understood by the context. Well, what I mean is that you might read a certain passage of Scripture, just one verse, and in order to understand that one single verse, you may have to read the verses that precede it. You may have to read all the verses that follow it, put it in its context, understand what he's really talking about to understand that one passage of Scripture. But 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 17 is not one of those. It just sort of stands on its own. This is all it says. Pray without ceasing. We glorify God when we pray without ceasing. In Luke 18 and verse 1, Jesus said that men ought always to pray. Men ought always to pray and not faint. Sometimes we faint, we don't pray. Have you been, ever been guilty of just sitting around and fuming about what's going on in your life and how bad everything is and become depressed and despondent and hopeless feeling coming over your soul? Jesus said you need to pray and you don't faint. But we faint sometimes when we don't pray. To faint means to lose heart. There are a lot of people in our world today who have lost heart. That is, they have, they've given up on life itself. But we don't have to give up. One of the benefits of prayer is that it energizes our souls, keeps us going. Somebody says, Brother Lambert, I, I understand that, but I'm not sure that it's really all that beneficial to pray. Well, I want to call your attention to a couple of passages in the book of 1 John chapter 5. I'm thinking, first of all, about reading verse 22 of chapter 3. Listen to this one. Whatever we ask, we receive from him. Whatever we ask, we receive him. And here's the reason, because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. So when you obey God, 
And when you do things that please God, and we pray to God, God is listening to us. Somebody says, well, I prayed and it never did me any good, Brother Lambert. Well, maybe there's a reason it never did you any good. Let me read 1 John 5, 14. Now, this is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, now there is the condition. I, I must pray in accordance with the will of God. I cannot ask to do something that would be a violation of God's will and expect God to answer that prayer. This verse says that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. But now what about if He hears us? Now, that's verse 15. And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of Him. It pays to pray. There's power in prayer. And I believe that, and I'm going to give you two reasons I believe it. Reason number one, I believe in power, there's power in prayer because that's what the Bible says. It says so. And I believe there's power in prayer because I have seen that demonstrated. Just a few days ago on the Lord's Day morning, one of our men stood up to pray. And he said, before I lead the prayer, I have something I want to say. This man is an amputee. For 13 years he's been in pain. But he, there has been prayer offered on his behalf. And he let us know that for the last number of weeks, He'd been pain-free. He's still pain-free today. Answer of prayer. Prayer works. James 4 and 2 says, You have not because you ask not. Friends, we glorify God by the prayers that we pray. I hope that you will become a person of prayer. Imagine what would happen if in America, all people began to pray that God would intervene in this nation for good. I want to thank you for watching today, and until we meet again, may the Lord bless you and keep you is my prayer. Coming to Faulkner has been one of the best decisions of my life. Not only have I had the chance to meet many great professors, but I've had the chance to be educated by them and become their friends. I had the opportunity to serve the community through Faulkner service programs. I really enjoyed using my talents by helping others. At Fulton University, we seek to educate the whole person, including mind, spirit, and soul. That's what makes us different. Visit our website today to see what Faulkner has for you. Getting to Know Your Bible has been presented by Churches of Christ. If you have a question about the church, or if you would like the location of a Church of Christ near you, or to receive the free Bible course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, Post Office Box 314, Somerdale, Alabama, 
3-6-5-8-0. Or call 1-877-711-5214. Join us next time for Getting to Know Your Bibles. <laughs>